The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. So as uh, Brent said, I'm I'm one of the elders here, and it's a joy, it's a privilege to teach this morning. We will be uh, continuing in our series of the seven churches and the letters to the seven churches, and we'll be talking about... um, the Church of Thyatira, which is going to be in Revelation 2. And um, it's one of those things with uh, being around God that a lot of the stuff that we've been doing on the elder board um, really relates to the letter that we're talking about today. So I want to start, actually, instead of talking about the Church of Thyatira, I want to talk a little bit about the Church of Heritage. And I want all of us, uh, I think it's kind of natural anyway, but be thinking as we go through this letter about heritage. And I'm going to be asking you questions about, okay, how does this apply to heritage? What do you see at heritage? Um, we, just saw, we just saw Paul. We're all so excited to have him come along. But it's been a long, a long year for a lot of reasons. And on top of it, um, the elder board has been searching for a new pastor. And when a, when a founding president or a founding owner of a company or a founding pastor of anything leaves, um, a lot of the infrastructure, a lot of the communication channels, a lot of the ways things were done were based on that individual's strengths and weaknesses. And so when that person leaves, there's not only a leadership vacuum, there's a functional vacuum as well. So we have... Uh, worked through some of that and we we want to uh, define and execute a a plurality of elder leadership that is expanded and I think broader than what we had in the past and so um, I see Mitch here Uh, is there any other elders here? It's just Mitch and I Uh, okay so (laughs) um, part of that that we've been working on and praying through is starting to do a biblical theological study. And so we are looking at theology. We're looking at doctrine, sound teaching, if you will, um, from a biblical lens and specifically from the lens of the kingdom of God. And it's been very fruitful. I think we're in, we've done it about five times so far. Um, but in, in all of us, I hope, have been a part of a small group or some sort of a Bible study and it's just supernatural, right? The Holy Spirit, if you commit yourself to it, you're studying the Word, you're sharing it with each other, and you're building one another up, and the Spirit just, just molds you together, and you become united in things. And that's what's happening at the Elder Board. So that's really exciting. Um, the reason I wanted to bring that up today is because we're studying doctrine and the, the, the issue confronting the church of Thyatira was doctrine. So let me ask you some questions about the kingdom of God because that's the backdrop. That's, if you will, the, the broad-stroked context of the letter of Thyatira, of the book of Revelation, and literally of the whole Bible. Um, it is, in a sense, what the reality is that we live in. Whether we know about Jesus or not, the kingdom of God exists, right? And so we need to know more about it so we know more about what Jesus is doing. So, this is a little bit of an interactive part here. I know some of you don't like that. That's okay. 
Um, how many kingdoms, as a human being, how many kingdoms do we get to choose from? Two, right, good, excellent. Kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of Jesus, right? That's our only, only choice. And if we don't make a choice, where are we? Kingdom of Satan. Is Satan defeated? Yes, yes, he is. Does he exercise attacks against the church? Does he exercise attacks against heritage? Does he exercise attacks against you? Yeah, yeah, especially in 2020. As Christians, who is, whose authority, authority is a tough word in the United States, whose authority are we to submit to? Jesus, right? And, and we all have authority issues, myself included. Um, we all have ways to grow in that idea. Where are we to go to discern sound doctrine? The Bible? Yeah. Okay, so here you get a vote. It's almost three weeks, right? Three weeks to go? You're going to get a vote. I'm going to give you some statements, and you can raise your right hand if you agree, or you can raise your hand if you disagree. The first statement, if we are obedient to Jesus and we think correctly, we will do the deeds of our king. We will do the we will obey the commands and do the works of Jesus. Agree? Disagree? Okay. Good. As, as Brent said, I, I, I'm a college guy, so this is kind of a quiz. You guys are doing really good. Second statement. If we are not obedient and or don't think correctly, we won't do the deeds of the king. Agree? Disagree? All right, third question or a statement. If we aren't, are not doing the, king, the deeds of the king, we are doing the deeds of Satan. Agree? Disagree? Yeah, Brent's kind of, eh, I don't know about that one. It's a tough one. You should meditate on that. That's a, that's a tough uh, statement to, to swallow. Um, with this as the backdrop and the setup, so to speak, um, to the letter, uh, we're going to uh, read this letter. And uh, if you would stand, I guess I need to stand here, don't I? Stand up and I will read it and then you can sit back down. So Revelation 2, beginning at verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, whose eye, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love, and faith, and service, and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead. 
And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching and who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works unto the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron, as with earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let me uh, give you a little bit of background on uh, the church of Thyatira. Um, it, you, last week we talked about the church of Pergamum. And so Thyatira, continuing around the circle, if you remember, is about 40 miles south and east of uh, Pergamum. It is a fairly nondescript city. It's the city that we know the least mo uh, about as far as history and um, geography and all of that. Um, it was a, a city that was very business-based, very commerce-based. Uh, that's what it was known for. And each of the, if you will, the manufacturing industries in that area had a guild or a union, if you will, we would call a union today. The city of Thyatira, just like other cities in that time and in that area, had a deity that they worshipped. That deity for these, uh, this town, Thyatira, was a guy by the name, or a god by the name of Apollo Tyrimnus, who was one of the sons of Zeus. And so from the city's perspective, they would have Zeus as their all-powerful god, if you will, and then his son, Tyrimnus, who they would then be worshiping. Um, the guilds, some of the industries they had, uh, include clothing, Metalworking, leather workers, tanners, wool processing, potters, bakers, slave dealers, and bronze smiths. And then one last note uh, for those of you that know a lot about the Bible, Lydia, who was Paul's first convert in Acts 16 in when he received the Macedonian call and went into Philippi, um, she was from Thyatira. And uh, she obviously was a businesswoman who, uh, according to Acts 16, sold or was involved with purple clothing. So she fits kind of the uh, criteria for Thyatira. Let's now uh, kind of work our way through the letter itself. Jesus introduced himself in a unique way in all of Revelation, actually. It's the Son of God, which for us in the 21st century is pretty common. We think of Jesus as the Son of God. That's the only time it's used in the book of Revelation. And it, it, those of you that know these letters know that um, the introduction is usually tied directly to his vision, John's vision in chapter 1, verses 9 and following. Well, in that vision, he is called the Son of Man. And part of the, the, the reasoning that Jesus uses descriptors is to link it, if you will, that attribute of himself, to the context of the church. And so the reason I brought up Zeus and his son was because of this. The son of God, Jesus is clearly calling himself alone out and God his father alone 
as the true God and the true Son. And it's, it's worth us, uh, because there's another verse in here that talks about it later, for us to read Psalm 2. So this would have come out of Psalm 2. And if you want to turn there, uh, go ahead. If not, I'm just going to read it. But there's a couple texts in here that G- Jesus brings back uh, as context Psalm 2 has always been considered a messianic psalm, even before Jesus came onto the scene. In in the Old Testament, it was considered a messianic psalm. And it reads as follows. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son today. I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So Jesus is immediately calling about who's really in authority, who really is in control. And it's Jesus, and he's claiming that as the son of the living creator God. Um, His next description of himself, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished brass. The eyes like a flame of fire denote his ability to look at a person's heart and mind, and will, and motive, and know what they are. Unique among all creation, right? God alone can do that. And then the burnished feet denote stability and also judgment from the Old Testament. 19, so the commendation. So Thyatira does receive a commendation from Jesus. I know your works, and that word works is erga, E-R-G-A, and it's, it's a big theme in this letter. Uh, there's the works that Thyatira does, there's the works of Jezebel, and then there's the works of Jesus. So works are going to be a common theme in this text and in this message today. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed your first. Now, if Jesus had written that to, the, to a letter to heritage, I'd be, I'd be excited. I mean, that's, that's pretty cool. I mean, that's what it's all about, right? Not only are you doing it, and the Lord has recognized that you're doing it, and you're doing it more. You're maturing, you're growing, you're producing more fruit. That's a church I would want to be a part of. This is what we strive for. And then the 
censure in verse 20. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. So let me give you a little bit of a description of what most commentators think is going on here. As I'd mentioned with the guilds, um, they, in a sense, you, to do business, you were going to have to be a part of that guild. So to be engaged in commerce, um, to have economic uh, survival, in a sense, you had to be involved in this system. These uh, guilds would have their own religious services. They would have dinners, if you will, and they would get together and they would worship the God because they would give gifts and sacrifices to that God so that they would then make money and sell their products. During these religious festivals, they would offer food to the uh, deity as well as sexual uh, act activities to, again, promote the favor, gain the favor of the deity. This woman, who was a leader in the church, proclaimed herself to be a prophetess, uh, meaning she claimed to have a new teaching from God that would in, in somehow speak to the dark or the deep things of Satan, which is a little bit later down in the text. And the, the best uh, guesses at this involved the idea that if a Christian engages in these practices, sexual immorality to a, to a, a God as well as eating of the sacrificial food to a god, they would be exposed in deep ways to the secrets of sat Satanism and Satan himself. And through that, they grow and they become more mature and stronger in the faith in Christ. In other words, sleeping with the enemy gains you uh, favor with Christ. Raise of hands. Does that sound like that's good teaching? No? Yes? Unfortunately for this church, it was a uh, highly valued or followed teaching. Um, people bought into it. And these are people that are brothers and sisters in Christ and were doing the things of God. Um, Commentators are split a little bit on whether this, well, let me back up. The name Jezebel probably is a personification. It's, her name probably wasn't Jezebel. Jesus is using that in respect to multiple places in the Bible, but the most prominent is Jezebel and King Ahab and Elijah back in the Old Testament. And she was raising up prophets uh, to destroy the prophets of God. And, and, all, and she was going to kill Elijah and all that. She was uh, not necessarily, I don't recall her actually being described as having, being sexually immoral, but she promoted idolatry, bottom line. And in the end, Israel came over to Baal, right? They were seduced. 
And so that was the story of the Old Testament, right? Israel was continually being drug into idolatry. The same thing happens here. Um, the censure or the, the warning that Jesus claims against the church is what? I can't hear you. What, verse 20, what, is he, what does he say? Yeah, but he says, I have this against you. You tolerate. That's what Jesus is censuring Thyatira about, not Jezebel. He's dealing with Jezebel. His description to the church is because they're tolerating it. Now, as an elder and as a leader, I can tell you there was a major leadership failure here. But all of the church would be responsible, not just the leaders, to allow this level of doctrinal impurity to not only exist, but to grow and to be drawing the body into these types of uh, idolatrous, adulterous sins. Uh, is, is, is amazing to me. Uh, I think of us. I think of heritage. And I think what... These aren't the types of sins we would do today, right? We don't have pagan god worship, sacrifices to gods, sexual immorality in this way where there's uh, meetings just to have sex to worship a god. And this is an open discussion here. But there are, I believe... Things in our world that are equitable to it. So my question to you, and I, I do want you to give me your ideas, what things today are facing heritage to draw us away in such a, a impure and, and violent, abhorrent way to the gospel? Can you guys think of some? What? Pornography. What else? I still didn't hear you. Abortion. What? Pride. Any others? Arrogance. I'm sorry? Busyness. Yeah. Let me read some of the ones I came up with. If I can find them. Uh, I can't find them. Well, some of them were pluralism individualism. Um, tolerance is still something that is rampant in our, company, our country, right? You can't... Uh, the only absolute left in our uh, culture is tolerance, which is they, the way they define tolerance is absolute. 
So it's a bit of a, a bit of a paradox. So there's all of those philosophies that whether we are conscious of it or not, we're impacted by it. And our, our children are impacted by it. Directly against the church, against the gospel, elimination of substitutionary atonement. The crux of our faith rests on substitutionary atonement. And it's the first and always will be the first thing to be attacked. And it's attacked both within and without of the church. Universal, universalism, which is similar to that, where all people are ultimately saved. There really isn't, the wrath of God really doesn't exist. We cheapen sin. We uh, focus on the love side of God. Everyone receives grace. Everyone eventually will be saved. Those are some of the things that are dramatically and categorically against the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, C.S. Lewis writes this, an open mind in questions that are not ultimate is useful, but an open mind about ultimate foundations, either of theoretical or practical reason, is idiocy. If a man's mind is open on these things, let his mouth at least be shut. That's from his uh, abolition of man. So what is he saying? There are things where it's not debatable. It's what we would call sometimes the to die for's or the close hand um, doctrines. You, you don't debate these things like substitutionary atonement or that Jesus is the son of God. I mean, there are certain things we don't debate. Now, there's a lot of things that we can debate among doctrine. But part of the job, if you will, uh, that the, the elders are trying to do and that you as well need to participate in is for heritage, what are these to die for doctrines? What are the ones that we are not going to debate? We are going to lock down and this is what we believe. And this is how we define that. And Watching what's going on at Thyatira motivates me, and I'm guessing it motivates Mitch, to be leaning into this even more. Because this is real. And, and you know, I've known churches, not, not this dramatic, I'm not saying that this is how they ended up, but, but have gone down this path of doctrinal impurity and how it just leads a church astray. Slowly but surely, it leads us astray individually, and it leads a church astray. And you have to remember in this picture, biblically, in Revelation 2 and 3, you have these lampstands, right? And what do the lampstands represent? Churches, these seven churches. And Jesus is in the midst of these seven churches. Well, heritage is a real lampstand. And Jesus is standing in our midst. And we are in the midst of all of the other local churches that make up his kingdom. We have a responsibility to maintain that lampstand. Not just the elders, all of us. 
And that's what Jesus is calling the censure to on Thyatira. And our doctrinal study that the others are doing um, gets at this exact issue. Um, let's move back onto the text. Verse 23, I will strike her children dead and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart and I will give to each of you according to your works. So there's that works again. This here is talking about those that are following um, Jezebel and this, this uh, false teaching, this false doctrine. She, he is going to, uh, he, he is so, Jesus is so adamantly opposed to this. He is going to punish with death. Which is a pretty strong statement. We don't get to see the judgment side of Jesus until the end of Revelation, right? When he kills everything. All the enemies of God. But this is a significant enough violation of impurity that he is, is going to um, kill those that do not repent. 24. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold to this teaching or this doctrine, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you, I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. And this, this is grace. I, I, you know, this is Jesus, the, the one that we love and, and praise. He's more God here than he's man, in my opinion. Because as a man, you would want to do something. You'd want to shake the people by their you know, collars. You'd want to add burdens to them. You'd want to say, you need to do this, 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 and this, or do something to, to chastise them for letting this happen. He doesn't do that. What does he do? He just says, keep on. Keep on doing what you're doing. These people, this church, were doing his works. The ones that aren't, that are following Jezebel, he's going to deal with. But that's not the lampstand. The lampstand are the ones that are not doing those works, that aren't adopting the false doctrine. You with me? And to those, he just says, keep on, which is just um, miraculous. 25, only hold fast what you have until I come. Sorry. 26, 27, and 28 talk about the promise. Now, what's unique in Thyatira, there's actually two conditions and two rewards. So let's look at the conditions first. 27, he will rule, uh, oh, I'm sorry, 26, the one who conquers, in other words, who holds fast and maintains, and the one who keeps my works until the end. So those are the two conditions. Okay, you maintain, you persevere, which is one of the things that they were doing well, and what? Keep my works until the end. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, although it's tempting. 
we don't think of the stuff we're doing. We don't think of faith and love and service and perseverance as Jesus' works. He's claiming them as his works. And there's good biblical support for that. We were created, the church was created to do good works for the kingdom. Jesus is doing good works through his church. He is doing good works through each one of us. He is doing good works through the lampstand of heritage. They are his good works. He claims them. Okay. Um, now the promise, 27. He will rule. This goes back to Psalm 2. He will rule them with a rod, or I'm sorry, halfway through 26. To him I give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earth and pots are broken in pieces. That comes directly out of Revelation or Psalm 2. That's where the father claims his son as the Messiah and gives him authority for all the nations, to rule all the nations. Jesus then, at the end of 27, even as I myself has received authority from my father. So he received the authority from his father and now he gives us that same authority. So we rule, in a sense, with Jesus. The second promise, I will give him the morning star. The morning star is, a, in this context, being used for a deity. In, in some places in the Bible, it's used as Satan. But again, going back to the Zeus and Apollo thing, um, Jesus is saying, no, I, I'm giving you me. I'm the morning star. I'm the only true son of God. And I'm giving you myself. And then... Uh, he who has an ear, let him hear. Um, this exhortation is used in uh, all of these seven letters. It's also used in uh, a lot of the parables. And it was began by Jesus when he switched from teaching uh, kind of narratively and, and uh, didactically into teaching with parables. And he did that because he wanted to talk about the kingdom in a way that was dependent on the Holy Spirit for interpretation. So the parables to those that don't have an ear from the Spirit really doesn't make any sense. There's no spiritual truth discernment in it for the people that aren't given that insight by the Holy Spirit. But for those of us that are, there's great meaning spiritually in it, and it's a replication or it, it talks about a specific aspect of the kingdom. So in this case, when he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Um, the word aku means not only the act of hearing sounds, it's the act of processing it and doing. So the end result is supposed to be works. The end result is supposed to be erga. And, and, and as we've learned in this text, that means the works of Jesus. All right. Any questions on the exegesis? I'm going to close with some applications. Everybody, verse 22. 
Behold, I will throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent. Yes, I forgot about that. So, uh, there's a sidebar that's an important sidebar in this text about judgment. And this touches on that whole idea. If you back up a little bit, Jezebel, uh, I gave, verse 21, I gave her, Jezebel, time to repent. I being Jesus. But she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sick bed. So he's going to bring her um, great illness. And uh, she has reached a point in Jesus' mind that her time for repentance is over. He's given her enough opportunity. He's given her chances. She's hardened her heart. She's no longer under that period of grace, if you will. He goes on then, and to those uh, who commit adultery with her, those that have followed her, I will throw into great tribulation, what? Unless they repent. So Jesus still has not pass judgment on all of her followers. There is still time for them to repent. But it's, it maybe is counterintuitive to some of us. We only have a certain amount of time to repent. And it's a hard lesson, but it's a biblical lesson. And it's a consistent lesson throughout the Bible. Um, we have to make Take advantage of the day that God has given us today. And repent. Repent to God. Repent to your spouse. Repent to your children. Repent to each other. Whatever. Do not bear the guilt and the shame and, and the uh, anger and all of the other things that come out of sin. Because it ultimately, as you know, it blocks your relationship with the Father, with the Son, and shuts down the Holy Spirit in your life. So, thanks. All right, applications. The church at Thyatira died. By the second century, the middle of the second century, it no longer existed. So, how much of it is related to this letter? You know, no one really knows. Um, but it's certainly not a... Uh, path, I think, that none of us want for heritage. Our very name, heritage, means an inheritance. And it promotes this idea of longevity. It promotes this idea of multi-generational things. And what we've learned from Thyatira in this letter is this age-old uh, wisdom that Matthew 6, Jesus talks about on the temple, uh, Sermon on the Mount. You cannot serve two masters. You can't serve God in money. And you can't serve God and Satan, right? You have got to choose one or the other. And by not choosing Jesus, you have chosen the other. And he demands all of us. He demands all of our allegiance. Um, number two, doctrine is critical. And those of you that have spent a lot of time studying the New Testament, it's all over the place especially in Paul's epistles, 
for instance, to Timothy and to Titus, um, but Peter, James, John, they all talk about it. Doctrine is important. And it's a bit, as a church, we've maybe lost some ground, not, not heritage specifically, but evangelicals in general. We maybe have lost a little bit of ground in, in really defining, being able to know what solid, sound doctrine is. Um, what does Proverbs 1-7 say? The beginning, or the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And what happens to fools? Fools don't want wisdom, and they don't want instruction. So, we need to seek wisdom, which is this, but then we need to submit to it and gain the instruction, and that's the value of doctrine. Number three, our work, our deeds matter. I know we're saved by grace through faith alone, but we're, we're saved to do stuff. We are saved to do the works of Jesus himself, and it matters. It matters a lot to Jesus. Judgment is real. There are two outcomes, rewards for those of us in the kingdom, punishment for those outside the kingdom. And I want to I make sure um, those works that are done on the behalf of Jesus, we will be rewarded for. I don't have time to go into all of that. But the one thing, even if Thyatira, these, these people that were not seduced, um, they and us and all of uh, the church is immune, removed from condemnation. So we will not have punishment. The reward is something we receive in the next life. It's received in the next economy of, of the kingdom, if you will. But we cannot receive punishment. Why? testing your doctrinal knowledge. Why can we not receive? Yeah. It makes, it's, it's, it falsifies the cross if we did, right? What did Jesus do on the cross? He bore our sins and the wrath, so the wrath that, of the sin that Mike did and does was poured out. He suffered. He took it. That wrath is gone. God can't recreate re, uh, it and, and, and pour it out again. So we will not, we cannot receive punishment. And let me just take this opportunity uh, to say that there's, there's anybody here or there's anybody uh, watching um, and you haven't committed yourself to Jesus, if you haven't committed yourself to the kingdom, Seize the day. Today's the day. Th there, this gospel, this kingdom, this person that we call Jesus Christ is real. It's not a, it's not a fairy tale. It's not, it's not a myth. It's not mythology of gods in the Greek. He is the ruler. He is the eternal king, as we sang. Um, and he's ruling now. Give your life to him. Become our brothers and our sisters in the kingdom. Become our joint partner in these works. Um, if you're here, come up, talk to me, talk to, to Mitch. Um, Brent's still here. We want to help you 
lead you to come and know and accept Jesus as your Lord. Lastly, um, being in the kingdom, it's not about you, it's not about me. It's about our king. It's about his kingdom. And the ultimate victory that it will have in renovating all of creation and bringing everything back under the rule of, the, of God. Heritage Fellowship, as are these other seven churches in the Church of Thyatira, are, are lampstands. We are a part of that kingdom. The church has a very unique role in the kingdom, and I don't have time to give you all that. But the kingdom exists regardless of the church, I can tell you that much. We are honored, but uh, we are called to be workers, to be exercisers, to be influencers for and through the kingdom of God. And the kingdom and its principles work through us into this fallen world, into the kingdom of Satan. We are a church, but we are planted by God in this time and this place in the middle of the kingdom of Satan to exercise the kingdom of Jesus through faith, through love, through service, through perseverance. If Jesus were to write a letter to us, to the, to the church of heritage, what would he say? Would we be commended? And if so, what for? Would we be censured? And if so, what for? In many ways, that question begins introspectively. How is Mike doing? Is Mike walking by faith? Is Mike loving? Is Mike serving? Is Mike persevering? Does Mike have sound doctrine? That's a question that I ask all of us to meditate on today. Um, speak to the Lord about these things because we individually make up the lampstand. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, this letter. We thank you more for uh, your grace and your mercy, which are uh, richly displayed through it, and yet your zealousness, your jealousy for your church and for your future bride. And so help us to, uh, to grow from this, empower us, um, awaken us where we need to be awakened, clear our minds um, from the smoke and from uh, the fog just like this last storm did and refresh us like the rain has Father give us nourishment in our soul to, to know at a deeper level your teaching your truth and to serve you in mighty ways in Jesus name Amen